Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. You know, life can be such a grind at times, and so we're here sharing God's Word with you to encourage you to keep grinding and to not give up. It's time to grind. So here's the host of the Grind It Podcast, the old school skateboarder himself, Randall Tucker. Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. Today we're going to be covering Hebrews chapter 4. It's a pretty short chapter, so we'll probably cover it in this one podcast. But I just want to say thank you for listening today. Thank you for watching on YouTube. Most of all, thank you for sharing the Grind It Podcast with your friends and your family, your coworkers. Because when you share this Grind It Podcast, you're giving people the opportunity to get to know Jesus and get to know Jesus even better if they already know Him. And uh, I just hope and pray that the, this study, especially from the book of Hebrews, is bringing us closer and closer to Jesus. And if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to, uh, the, I've covered the book of John, uh, the book of Acts, and the book of Luke. And uh, just share those with your friends and, and, and they would really get to know about the church. And they would especially would get to know about Jesus. But thank you for uh, just supporting the Grind It podcast with your prayers and, and, and sharing uh, this podcast with uh, your friends. God bless you for that. So let's jump into Hebrews chapter 4. And, and just a quick review from chapter 3. Chapter 3 was about Jesus being better than Moses. And although Moses was a faithful servant to God, Moses had flaws. He sinned. Uh, he especially sinned when he let his anger get the best of him. And he struck the rock twice when God says, Speak to the rock in front of the con- uh, congregation. But Moses hit the rock twice, and because he hit the rock, even though God still uh, allowed the water to come out of the rock for the people, it cost Moses dearly because he did not get to go into the promised land. And and think about it, he's been wandering around this wilderness for 40 years with these people who are murmuring and complaining, even though they see uh, God doing all these miracles and, and, and uh, and just hearing the voice of God and, and seeing all the great things that God's done, but yet they're still rebelling against God and, 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 and now against Moses and Aaron over and over again. And so <clears throat> this cost Moses dearly. He, he, he didn't get to lead the people after 40 years of wandering around the wilderness with them. Uh, he only got to go up on the mountain and see the promised land. And God w- would basically allow him to die on the mountain and God would bury him and then Joshua is going to take over and actually lead the people into uh, the promised land Mm -hmm. and uh, at the end of chapter 3 the Hebrews author says that the people the Hebrew people did not enter into God's rest in other words go into the promised land because they they wandered around the wilderness like I said for 40 years and they were dropping dead like flies and it would be their children who would actually go with Joshua into the promised land. We'll come back to more of that in in just a little bit. And so in chapter 4, he is reminding the people who are beginning to get weary and fade away that they still have the opportunity to enter God's rest, but listen carefully to what he's going to tell them. And and when he says to enter God's rest, he's talking about heaven, where God is, where Jesus is. And so he says... God's promise of entering his rest still stands, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. And we have it is crystal clear that the author of Hebrews is talking with people who have already accepted Jesus, 
if you go back and read the first three chapters, it is crystal clear that he is definitely speaking to people who have accepted Jesus, they've been baptized into Christ, and they've been following Jesus for some time, so long that they have been jailed for their faith, they've lost their possessions that they owned, and they have been beaten for their faith in Jesus. So they have literally given their lives, not, not, they haven't uh, been uh, persecuted so bad that they're dying for their faith, but they, but they have literally given their lives to uh, serving Jesus to the point that they're, they're being persecuted for their faith, they're being beaten for their faith, they're being jailed, they're, they've lost their possessions. And so I just want to make it uh, understood that he is talking to Jewish Christians, people who are following Jesus. And he, he tells them, he says, you still have the opportunity to enter into uh, God's rest. And he says, so, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. And so a, a, a basic simple question is this. If he's writing to Christians who are following Jesus and have for a while and, and, and has been through all this persecution, why would he tell them that they ought to tremble with fear because some of them might fail to experience it if that wasn't possible? And so he, he goes on to explain uh, what he's saying in verses 1 through 13. He says, God's, or the author says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that, you know, that they can enter into God's rest, this good news that God has prepared his rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. To who? To the, to the Hebrew people, the Jews in the Old Testament when they were wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. God had announced it to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, In my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest. And he's quoting Psalm 95, 11. Even though the rest has been ready since he made the world, we know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And so he's quoting Genesis 2, verse 2. But he goes on to say, but in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. And he's going back to Psalm 95, 11. So God's rest is there for the people to enter. But those who first heard, those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And that's coming from Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8. Now, if Joshua has succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So he, he's trying to get them to see that there's a greater rest that has not yet come. And he's talking about heaven and entering into heaven. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would have not spoken about Another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did from after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, 
we will fall. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. So the author is using the Old Testament, right? He is using because that's all they had back then. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. The author is using the Old Testament as a point of reference because he is using Israel's disobedience as an example to show his audience, these Jewish Christians who are following Jesus, but yet because of persecution, they have become weary. They're beginning to fade away. And he's trying to encourage them to, to stay, stay with Jesus. Grab hold and, and hold on as tight as you can. And so he's using... From the Old Testament scriptures, Israel's example, and and he says that Moses they he, he led Israel out of Egypt, and the people heard God's voice. They saw the miracles, and yet they did not enter the promised land because of their unbelief. They're murmuring and complaining and want to go back to Egypt constantly, and. And this is a bad place between between chapter 3 and chapter 4. That, that's a bad spot for a chapter break. Um, but there was a, there's one there. But it, 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 if you go to chapter 3 and read it, it should read right along with chapter 4. Because he's continuing this theme from chapter 3 right into chapter 4 using the, the Hebrew people, the Jews in the Old Testament as they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years as an example to show these Jewish Christians who because of persecution they're they're tired they're weary and they're they're beginning to turn back into Judaism and going back into Judaism that can't save them anymore and if they leave he's trying to tell them if they leave Jesus there there's nowhere else to go for salvation and he's saying you got to hold on to Jesus and, and and you will see that at the end of this chapter and in the continuing chapters to come but Here's what it says going back to chapter 3. At the end of chapter 3, he says, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. But I thought they were, they were Christians. They're serving Jesus. They are. But because of persecution, their hearts are beginning to turn away from, from God. And that's why he's saying, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. So he is writing to, and I can't make this plain enough, that he is writing to People who are following Jesus. Because I hear too many times that people say, well, they just were never saved then. That, that, that's not necessarily the case. This guy or this author is writing to men and women who are following Jesus. And because of persecution, they, they are, they are they're turning away from Jesus. And they're going back into Judaism where it's safe. And he's telling them, you better look at Israel's example from the Old Testament. They didn't make it. They, they, they may have been following God for 40 years. They may have been following Moses for 40 years. But Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is God in the flesh. And if we don't continue to follow Jesus until the end, you're in trouble. And that's exactly what he's telling them. And, and he's saying, be careful then. Dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Now, if that wasn't possible, why would he put that in there? Why would the Hebrews author say that 
make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving because if your heart is evil and if your heart if there's unbelief in your heart it'll turn you away from the living God and that's why he says you must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God and that's where the trouble comes is it's from our sin and our hearts being hardened against God because of sin and that that's what sin does when we sin we get a little calloused every time we get more calloused and we keep continuing to sin and, and, and our hearts get calloused and the next thing you know our heart is so hard that not that that, that we just we're so engulfed in the sin that we, we 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 have turned from god and he's telling them if we remain in that condition we're in trouble and we'll see that in hebrews 10 <clears throat> but he says in verse 14 of chapter 3 for if we are faithful to the end Trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. That's why it's important that we do not give up. That we, and that's what this this podcast is all about. It is to encourage one another to endure to the end. Either Jesus comes back or we take our last breath. But we must remain faithful to Jesus because I mean, where else are we going to go for salvation if we turn our hearts from Jesus? For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. That's Psalm 95, 7 and 8. And who was it who rebelled against God? Even though they heard his voice. Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? Yes. And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? Yes. And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? Yes. So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest, is what he says at the end of chapter 3. It wasn't God's fault. God did exactly what he was supposed to do. He let he used Moses to lead them out from the Egyptian bondage. They've been crying out to God for 400 years. God comes through, parts the Red Sea. They go across on dry ground. They're on their way, and they send the spies into the promised land. Two spies come back with a positive report, Joshua and Caleb, and the, and the other 10 spies, we can't do this. There's no way. And so their disbelief uh, against God, it, it it swayed the people and the people didn't believe God they didn't trust God and God allowed them to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until they all died they never got to enter the promised land it was their children who got to enter into the promised land that's why when Joshua takes over the very first thing that, that they have to do was and, and these were grown men they had to be circumcised they, they could not go into battle into Jericho until they were all circumcised because that was God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. And these, these children grew up. That just shows you how, how the people's hearts have turned from God. They didn't even circumcise their children. They did not keep the covenant that God had established with Abraham. They did not circumcise their children. And so Joshua had to circumcise the men 
which would take some time for them to heal up before they could ever go in into the promised land. But it was because of their unbelief that all that generation died in the wilderness during that 40 years. And so he's trying to explain to his audience that they have the opportunity to enter God's rest. They can enter into heaven if they don't harden their hearts against God because of what they've been through. They've got to remain faithful if they want to enter heaven. And that's why he says there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. And if that wasn't possible, why would he write that in there? Why would this author write that in there? And and and, and if it was not possible, what this? Why is this the whole theme of the book of Hebrews? Is because he is writing to Jewish Christians who are, and I can't say this enough. So I, that's why I keep repeating it. He is writing to Jewish Christians who have been following Jesus for a period of time, long enough to be beaten for their faith, to lose their possessions, and to be put in prison, to be put in jail for their faith in Jesus. And he is telling them, don't give up, because if you give up, there's nowhere else to go. We, You still have the opportunity to enter God's rest. And it... it and I know he's saying, I know you're tired, I know you're weary, I know you've been through a lot, but you have to endure to the end. And then, when the end comes, when you take your last breath and you enter into heaven, you enter into God's rest, and you can rest for eternity. But don't give up now. That's why he says, so let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, if we turn from Jesus, and that's what he's saying here, as the people of Israel did, if they were disobedient. Instead of trusting God, they, they murmured and complained and kept wanting to go back to Egypt. And if we are like them and we are disobedient to God, if we give up on Jesus, guess what? We will fall. And that it, it cannot be any more plain than that. And that's why we, we, and I, I just, I, I can't be passionate enough about this. I don't. It, it does not matter what you've been taught from your childhood about salvation and and and, and it been for forever. It, when you read the book of Hebrews and other verses that support this, it's not the case. Or he would not be uh, being so passionate in telling them that they have got to stay faithful and not give up on Jesus. Now, at what point you know, can you be severed from God? I, I don't know. But it is possible, according to the author of Hebrews. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. And he's talking to Jewish Christians who have been following Jesus for a quite a long period. They were saved. And he's telling them, you're going to fall 
if you're disobedient to God. And so as he finishes that thought, he gives us some insight as to how powerful the Word of God is in verses 12 and 13. He says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. So in other words, God knows everything that we're going through. Nothing Nothing, absolutely nothing at all catches God by surprise like it does us. Well, I didn't see that coming. No, God saw it coming before, long before it ever happened. And he knows what we're going through. He knows our hearts. Our heart is our innermost part of our being, our souls. And, And there is nothing, absolutely nothing that we can hide from God. And that, that's, that, that's why it's so important that we communicate with God through prayer. Tell, tell God how you feel. He already knows. You get mad at God, let Him have it. Tell Him how upset you are. Tell Him how you feel about what's going on in your life. Because He already knows how we feel. So why not talk to Him about it? As we're going to see in just a few minutes, He's here to help. Not hurt or condemn but help. We cannot hide anything from God. And I'm surprised that if if the Hebrew author was quoting the Psalms, I'm surprised he didn't use Psalm 139 at this point that says this. And this is a Psalm of David. O Lord, you have examined my heart. In other words, you know the innermost part of my being. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts. Even when I'm far away, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Remember when Jesus in the Gospels, the the Pharisees would just think something in their head and Jesus would call them out on it out loud. Jesus knew their thoughts and he told them what they were thinking. David says, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. We can't understand God. He's so much higher than we are. And that's why it just throws people for a loop. And they just choose not to believe at all because they try to figure out God with our little infinite finite brains we cannot comprehend god he is holy we're not holy we're made holy through the blood of jesus but we're corrupt god is incorrupt we cannot understand god and that's what david is saying here such knowledge about you god it's too wonderful for me it's too great for me to understand i can never escape from your spirit i can never get away from your presence If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in the darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. There's a a verse for all you abortionists. 
You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Oh, that's another podcast. We won't go there. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. There's another verse for that. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. There's another verse uh, that, that goes against abortion. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Every precious, How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Oh God, if you only would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. You bla They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Should I shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with a total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. And then he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So, God knows everything about us. There is no escape from God. He's everywhere we go. And that's what David's saying. It doesn't matter where I go, God. I can go up into the heavens. I can go into the deepest parts of the sea. I can... I can go into the darkest of dark. When I was a, a kid, I was uh, in school, and, and went, we went to a planetarium. And it was so dark when they turned the lights out before they started their, their star display. It was so dark. We, we were putting our hands to our nose, and you couldn't even see your hand. It was so dark. And David says, even the darkest of dark is like daylight to you. If God knows us, He knows what we're thinking, He knows what we're feeling, why not just have a conversation with Him when you're going through something difficult in life? And that's what the Hebrew uh, author is telling his people. He's saying, don't give up on Jesus. Don't turn your back on God. Run to God, not from God. And then he's going to explain to them how, just how powerful the Word of God is because, yes, the Word of God, it, 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 well, let's just, he, he says that the Word of God, it, it, it cuts to the most deepest inner parts of our soul. And it can divide us up, it can cut us up, it can do a lot of damage, but it can also do a lot of good. Because, what we the best thing that we can do when we're faced with a, a difficult situation in life is to run to the word of god we we from genesis to revelation there is something in the word of god for any situation for every situation that we face in this life and not only should we run to the word of god but we should run to jesus and that's exactly where he is going with his audience that's what he is trying to get them to understand that yes you're going through this persecution yes you've been in prison yes you've been beaten yes you have lost your possessions but don't run away from god don't run away from jesus run to jesus and that's how he's going to uh end this chapter but when he is talking about the word of god uh 
in my opinion, he's talking about the Old Testament because he's he has quoted uh, several passages from uh, from the Book of Psalms and from Genesis, um, and so I, I believe that he is referring to uh, the Old Testament, and so he is using these Old Testament scriptures and in the, in the Old because te- Paul says the Old Testament is a tutor, it's a schoolmaster, it's, it's for our learning, and so he is using the Old Testament and, and he's using the Hebrew people, the, 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 the Israelites, from the Old Testament as an example of what not to do because they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years uh, and, and, and they failed. They did not trust God and they rebelled against God. They sinned against God and it cost them. They did not get to go into the promised land. Their children did. Uh, and so he's saying, if, if you turn from God, if you're disobedient to God and you walk away from Jesus... You're not in. You're not going to make it. Therefore, stay faithful to Jesus. And if you think about it, these people, when they were writing their letters in the New Testament, they had scriptures. They had the Old Testament. They had the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. They had Psalms. They had Proverbs. And they had all the prophets. Even Jesus used a scroll with the book of Isaiah in it when he stood up to read in the synagogue and he tells the people, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears and for your eyes. So uh, it, it, it just kind of gets in my crawl a little bit when people think the Old Testament is not relevant. It is very relevant even today. And there's so many great lessons that we can learn from the Old Testament. And I think about John talking about the Word of God uh, and how powerful it is, as he says in, in, in verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 4, I think about John giving his vision and giving us a picture of his vision uh, of Jesus in Revelation 1. And, and listen to what he says in verses 10 through 18 of this vision. He says, It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit, and suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, Write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, and he was wearing a long robe and a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. He's describing Jesus. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. What would that be? The Word of God. His face was like the sun in all its brilliance, and when I saw him, I felt his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. So John says a sharp two-edged sword came from the mouth of Jesus, and we know from Hebrews 4.12 that sharp two-edged sword is the word of God. But also in Revelation 19, 11 through 16, John writes, And I saw a heaven open, then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, 
Here we go again, a description of Jesus. And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Well, we know from John 1, the Gospel of John, John 1, the Logos is Jesus. The Logos being the Word of God is Jesus. And Jesus' title here in Revelation is the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. And get this, from his mouth, verse 15, or Revelation 19, from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, like, uh, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. So just how powerful is the word of God? I'll give you one illustration that that, that is, I, I think is probably the best illustration just to show how powerful the Word of God is. And I'm going to take you to Genesis chapter 1. Because in Genesis chapter 1, God is creating everything. Because in the beginning, there was nothing. It was just God. It was Jesus. And it was the Holy Spirit. The earth was not made yet there was no heaven there was no uh, uh, firmament in the heaven there was no lights there was no darkness there it was just God Jesus and the Holy Spirit and we see that all in Genesis 1 and so it says in the, uh, it says in the first verse in the beginning in the beginning of time as we know it because God doesn't know time God does not have a beginning he's always been he is eternal but in the beginning as we know it as humans in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters then God said let there be light and there was light and God saw that the light was good and then he separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness night and evening passed and morning came marking the first day then God said let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth and that is what happened God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens and God called the space sky and evening passed and morning came marking the second day but this goes on and on and on for six days and God's gonna rest on the seventh but over and over and over again when God created something it started out like this then God said, let there be. And that's how powerful the Word of God is. That God could just speak something and it comes into existence. And when He created the original creation before man fell and, and, and sin entered in, it was perfect. It was absolutely 100% perfect. And this is not a podcast to get into uh, creation and things like that. You either believe it or you don't. But it is to show just how powerful God's Word is. That He could speak. And, and this earth that we live in just appeared. And, and, and now we've got this new telescope that's able to see way, way deep into the planets and into the stars and into the galaxies and it, and it's taking these uh, pretty neat pictures and and deep more detailed than the ones we've had in the past 
and we can just see the power of God and, and the power of His Word because He spoke all this into existence. And uh, like I said, this goes on for six days and on the seventh day God rested and He takes us, uh, and this will take us back to our text in Hebrews chapter 4 because the author did make a reference to God resting. But I want to say this before we move on. And this is a, a something that I really need to hear and understand. If God can speak a word and create the heavens and the earth and water and, and the night and the day and people and all of this stuff, He can speak into our situation and He can help. And that's what the Hebrew author is trying to get his people to understand, his audience to understand. Yes, you're going through all this bad stuff, but there, there's power in the Word of God, and God can speak to your situation. Don't run from God. Run to God. And so as he finishes his thoughts on trying to get them to see that if they leave Jesus, they're not going to enter into God's rest, and how the uh, and he's trying to get them to see how powerful the Word of God is. He, he's going to make this transition to encourage them that Jesus, Jesus has been here and He's done that. He He's got the T-shirt. He 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 has walked this earth. He was God in the flesh, and He's walked this earth, and He was tempted in every way we were tempted. He was tested in every way the word tested, and He never sinned, and yet He was still punished. He was He was persecuted. He had people that hated Him, and and. And they put him on a cross and they killed him. And, and, and then he was in that tomb for three days. And then three days later, he came back to life. And, and, and so he, he says to his audience, he says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there, only there, at the throne of God, will we, find, will we receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And so he's telling them, you got to run to God, not from God. Go boldly into God's presence at His throne because it is only there, at the throne of God, will we find the help that we need in the time that we need it most. And so... Now he's going to be referring back to what he said in chapter 2 uh, when he said, We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every aspect or in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. And, and that's what he just said here in chapter 4. He's already said it in chapter 2. So he is reminding them that Jesus has been here and done that. He's got the t-shirt. And we need to be looking to Jesus for help. We need to be running to the throne, not from the throne. And so he explains to them that Jesus was God in the flesh. He lived as a man just like you and me. He was tempted and tested in every way that we were and, 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 and that they were and we are. And therefore, since Jesus 
was God in the flesh. He lived as a man, and he's been through all these temptations and never sinned. He understands what uh, what they're dealing with, and he understands what we're dealing with even today. He knows what it's like to be beaten. He knows what it's like to lose everything. He knows what it's like to be humiliated because he went through it. He knows what it's like to be hated. He knows what it's like to be condemned. Therefore, he can and does empathize with his followers. And that's why he tells them, look at Jesus. Because Jesus endured. He never sinned. And now, because he didn't sin, he was able to become our sacrifice. And after he was our sacrifice, he was resurrected and he ascended back to the Father. And he's sitting at the Father's right hand. That's what he uh, uh, talks about, I believe, is in chapter three, or chapter 2. Or maybe that's chapter 1. But he talks about it in one of those first three chapters. We've already covered it. And, and he's saying that's where we want to be. We want to enter into God's rest where Jesus is. But if we walk away from him, we're walking away from the very one, the only one who can save us. Because he is our high priest. He offered himself as the only sacrifice that could take away sin. And since he's been there and done that and has the t-shirt, he knows what we're facing and we should run to him, to Jesus, and not from Jesus. But so so many times, when we go through some difficult situation in life, we, we withdraw. It's just a natural tendency. We, we, we withdraw from friends. We withdraw from family. We withdraw from our church family. And we, we, we eventually withdraw from God when we should be reaching out and running to him. Because he understands. He knows what we're going through. Nothing catches him by surprise. And he's here to help. But we got to go to him. He says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And we will find grace to help when we need it most, when we run to this throne. When someone is bold, right? Let us boldly come to the throne of our gracious God. When somebody is bold, they're confident. And we're going to see this theme of their lack of confidence in Jesus all throughout this book. And especially in chapter 10 when he's going to say, So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. And that's their whole problem. Just like the, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they did not, they were not confident. Even though God had worked all these miracles for them and although God had provided for them, they did not have confidence or they did not have trust in God. And they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years, dropping dead like flies until they were all gone. And then their kids took over and Joshua took over and they entered into the promised land. They entered into uh, God's rest for them. But there's a greater rest talking about heaven. And that's what he's telling them at the beginning of this chapter. And that's the, the rest that we're uh, shooting for, that we're aiming for, that we're running for. And we do not get that rest until we cross that finish line. And that's why he's trying to tell them to endure, to keep their eyes on Jesus, to keep running to Jesus, and not be discouraged and fade away. And so he says, don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember that great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Talking about Jesus. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not 
like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. And so I want to end the podcast with this question. Have you lost confidence in God? And why? What has happened in your life that was so bad that would cause you to lose confidence in God? That would make you turn away from Jesus and say, I I no longer trust you. I no longer need you in my life. Because if we... If we are like the Hebrew people in the Old Testament, and if we're like the people that he's writing to here in the book of Hebrews, and we turn away from God, the the same warnings he gives them in the book of Hebrews is the same warnings that apply to us. If we turn from Jesus, where else are we going to go for salvation? Because Jesus is the only way that we can be saved. His blood that he shed on the cross is the only way our sins can be washed away and forgiven. And if we turn away from Jesus and say, I no longer need you in my life because I'm going through this difficult time and and, and I'm walking away from you because you should have never let this happen in the first place. Dangerous. What, the, 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 uh, what was that show, Lost in Space? And the, the robot would say, Danger, Will Robertson. Danger, Will Robertson. And it, it, it's danger. Danger, danger, danger. And, and so I just want to encourage you to take an assessment of your life and, 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 and take a look at what you've been through and say, is hell worth turning away from Jesus? Because if we, don't, if we do not cross that finish line, according to the Hebrew author, we're not making it. We're not, we're not entering the rest of God. And our goal at the Grind It podcast is to encourage you to keep on going. Those who endure to the end will be saved, is what Jesus said. And so we have to endure. There is nothing that can happen in our life that should discourage us so much to say, God, I'm mad at you. I'm turning away from you. I don't need you in my life. Because where are we going to go if we turn from God? The alternatives is not good. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. And he's warned us over and over throughout the Gospels, we're going to be hated. We're going to be persecuted. Life is hard. It's hard serving Jesus. As a matter of fact, it even gets harder when we are serving Jesus. But the end is worth it all. And we even see that in the example of Jesus. What he uh, I mean, the guy was perfect. He never sinned, and yet he was hated, he was persecuted, and he was killed. And then he came out victorious out of that tomb three days later. And then he ascended to the Father, sitting at the Father's right hand, making intercession for the us, those of us who have accepted him as our Lord and Savior, and those of us who are walking with him on a daily basis. Because at some point, when we take our last breath and we enter into his rest, it will all be worth it, no matter what we have gone through in this life. And so I just want to remind you that Jesus has been there and done that. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you've been through. And He knows what you're going to go through. Because that's just the way life is. It's, it's full of uh, valleys and it's full of mountaintops. But the sun always shines. Even in the valley when it's dark. The sun is still shining above those clouds. And I want to encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus, to not lose confidence, to not lose hope in 
Jesus because there is nowhere else to go to for salvation except Jesus and being washed in His blood. So if I can help you in any way, if I can encourage you, pray for you, help you vent, help you talk through some of your situations, anything that I can do for you, please contact me at thegrinditpodcast at gmail.com and, and, and we can have a conversation. And I would love to. And I would definitely love to pray for you and your needs. Thank you for listening today. And I pray that you will be encouraged from listening to this podcast. And you will continue to listen as we pick up next time with Hebrews chapter 5. God bless you. Don't give up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep walking with Jesus on a daily basis. And keep grinding. Thank you for listening to the Grinded Podcast today. May God bless you. If you have any comments or questions, you can email them to us at thegrinditpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like Randy to come and speak at your church or your next event, you can contact him through that same email address. Also, I would like to thank Jody Foster's Army, also known as JFA, for their song, Abba, as we use for our intro and our outro off their untitled 1984 album. May God bless you, and remember, keep your eyes on Jesus and keep grinding.